name is Caroline Garnham from boutique law firm Garnham Family Office Services. We protect and preserve the wealth of the world's rich and famous. But having a good lawyer is only part of the solution. My podcast, How to Keep Your Money, draws on my 30 years experience and my extensive network of professional advisors to better inform you. Subscribe to our podcast and learn from the professionals on how to keep your money. This is episode eight of How to Keep Your Money. I'm Caroline Garnham of Garnham Family Office Services, specialist lawyer to the ultra high net worth community. I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Christian Kalin, the world's foremost expert in investment migration and citizenship, a field he pioneered. Bloomberg has called him the passport king and he's advised individuals and governments alike on how to invest in citizenship and visa access. Christian has been with Henley Partners in the 1990s, and now Henley Partners has offices in 30 countries. He's an author, lawyer, editor, chairman of Henley Partners, and philanthropist. Welcome, Christian, to How to Keep Your Money. You were fascinated from a young age with the issue of who a government allowed in their country and who they wanted to keep out. As a teenager, you wrote to embassies to ask for their legislation on citizenship, which you kept in a big binder. Tell me a little bit more about this young age fascination. Mm, Well, I'm from Switzerland. I was born there. And actually, there were several binders, not just one. And I did many other things as well like that and, and uh, similar. But this topic has always been in, of interest to me because Switzerland at that time was even more a privileged country than it is today compared to the rest of Europe. It was a very particular place to grow up with, to grow up, grow up in. <clears throat> and I, when I was young, I realized that it was really the accident of birth that make you have a very good life prospect or the opposite and so I want to know how it is in other countries and why do countries actually not let you in and I grew up in one of the let's say most privileged places on the planet and saw that you know many other places were much less fortunate and that particularly citizenship kept you there where you were born basically, or to whom you were born. Of course, you could be born in a poor and difficult war-torn country, but have an American passport and have the opportunity to go to America anytime, or to Europe. And it always was of interest to me since I'm very, since I'm very small and still is. Mm, interesting. Um, you set up a quality of nationality index at, at Henley & Partners. In your view, the ranking of the British passport is about to plunge. While a member of the EU, a British passport allowed you through airports without a visa in much of the world, but it also conferred on its citizens the freedom to live and work in 31 other EU countries and the EU Free Trade Association. 
How badly affected will British passport holders be as a result of leaving the EU? Yeah, actually, the quality of nationality index that I developed together with a professor that also has a lot of interest in this is the first really thorough, proper academic study on the subject. And it measures various things, not just to what countries you can go to travel as visa-free access. For that, we have our Henley Passport Index, which is quite interesting too. But the quality of nationality index measures other things, such as also settlement rights. And that is the one factor that might be affected um, here with this Brexit, because we don't know right now what will be the settlement rights of British people after Brexit. Probably there will be less than now. And because that's quite large factor in this quality of nationality index, that will be the aspect that will have Britain, British passport, British nationality sink in this index because most likely they will not have the same level of access like Portuguese or Finnish or, or even Swiss that have bilateral agreements with the EU. And because that's an important factor, that will be the impact in the quality of nationality index in the future. However, for practical, re practical purposes for British people, they can still go on holiday to France without a visa. You know, I've read all kinds of nonsense that you know it's going to be very difficult to travel. That's, that, of course, is not the case. You know, I think for most British people, there will be no difference. I think possible strikes in France are more impactful <laughs> on your holiday to France than anything having to do with Brexit. And you're referring here mainly on the restricted freedoms that we'll get post leaving the EU. I'm only talking here about the settlement freedoms. So in terms of passport power, access for travel and business for holidays and travel um, short term, you know, for short for short term travel, the British passport will be exactly the same in the future like it is now. There'll be no visas required to travel to Europe. But if you want to live and work in the EU, after Brexit, that might change. I'm not even sure how much, because, for instance, Switzerland is not in the EU, but we have managed to have reasonable agreements with the EU that allows mutual settlement rights all the same. Britain yeah. might well end up in the same position, actually quite likely. And if that's the case, then there will be no plunging, even in the quality of nationality index. How interesting. Thank you. In the UK, it is possible to buy a passport. It just takes a little longer than with countries such as Bulgaria, Cyprus, and Malta. First, you need to invest in a tier one visa with an investment of two million pounds. Now, I understand that this two million pounds has been extended of what you can invest in, bonds uh, and securities, as well as other things. Um, but I understand that you would quite like this to be probably more focused so the investment can be in Middle England, as in the US, or invest into a sovereign wealth fund as, we, as with Norway. Maybe you could elaborate on some of these ideas? Well, first of all, I, may I suggest a correction that you can't buy a passport, whether in the UK or anywhere else. What you can do is you can invest in the country under various programs, and there are about 100 countries worldwide where more or less this is possible that then after due qualification, a lot of due diligence nowadays, 
you may qualify to be granted citizenship. It's the same like naturalization after you've spent a couple of years in the country on other permits, such as student or or work permit and later you settle here at some point you qualify so here we were just talking about investors that may accelerate that and to go to your question the uk tier one investor immigration program it is actually a very good program the only thing is it could be a lot better particularly for the country and you mentioned like a sovereign wealth fund or directing investments into um, underdeveloped area or areas of need investments Clearly, the UK has many regions that that need investment. And if I was the UK government, I would rather channel those investments there where they're needed rather than just leaving it open like it's now. So I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And would you maybe, if you were allowed to speak to Boris, give him the idea that maybe uh, he could encourage businesses to go into the Middle England, where, of course, he's now got a lot of votes which he didn't have before? Well, you could do many things because, of course, foreign investors, they are driven by other motivations. They want to have the right of settlement here. They want to do business here. They want to be able to live here, at least partly. They bring their families with them, their businesses, their ideas, their talent. And you could channel some of that to the areas and projects, such as, for instance, social housing, which is also another topic here where it's needed. Currently, there is no policy where this is channeled anywhere. It's just, you know, you can buy some British securities and you qualify. Um, For many wealthy people, that doesn't really carry any costs. They may already have a portfolio of British Mm -hmm. shares. So all they need to do is pay some fees to a lawyer to hand in their application. And that really doesn't make much sense from a policy point of view. And is it the same principles that apply with regard to a sovereign wealth fund if we set up one in the UK? Yeah, that might be even a better way because you could actually ask, instead of an investment, you could ask a contribution. You could say, look, if you want a residence permit in this country, you pay £1 million to our sovereign wealth fund. And there will be a lot of people that will pay that. And you could raise funds very specifically for very specific regions or projects that are important uh, on the agenda of the government. And people are willing and happy to do that. That makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a relationship between the host country and the foreign investor that makes mutual sense. I think that's a very good idea. And maybe Boris should be uh, have a conversation with you uh, very shortly. I see that the Chinese are the biggest investors of foreign passports. And citizens of Vietnam and Bangladesh are also showing an increased interest. Of course, citizens of these countries do not need passport to visit Europe, as you were saying. You know, when we leave um, the EU, we can still visit Europe for our holidays. Um, and similarly, Chinese, Vietnam, Bangladeshi, they could simply apply for a Schengen visa for access to 26 European countries, which make up the Schengen area. Um, so people who are keen to invest in a passport want to do more than just visit uh, the EU. From your experience, why do they want or need a passport? Well, first of all, if you need a visa, and here 
it's really uh, you know the world is divided between you know a few or fewer privileged countries and britain is certainly one of them if you're a british passport holder you can travel to many countries without a visa you don't need to think about that it's very convenient but let's say if you're south african on the south african passport you need a visa to travel almost anywhere now you may well get that visa you know as you say that might be enough but it's always a nuisance to apply and then also if you want to travel maybe on business you will get this visa longer term but if you want to travel maybe with your family then you need to get that for your family maybe the grandmother would like to come as well that might already be not possible mm-hmm. depends where you want to go to and it's a process that is sometimes quite humiliating actually and if you have an alternative residence permit you don't even need to have a second citizenship but you could have a residence permit let's say in the schengen area and this is like a permanent visa that enables you to travel any time to those destinations you like to go to. So this is very convenient. So one aspect for such clients is simply convenience, mobility, to travel at short notice, to not having to queue in the embassy and maybe be refused and spend a lot of time. It's also very time consuming to deal with these visa applications. That's one thing. The other thing, again, maybe South Africa is a good example, you know, it's a beautiful country, people are there, they want to be there, but they don't know whether in five years, maybe it turns out like in Zimbabwe, and they need a plan B. So they need to have at least a residence permit somewhere where they can be safe in case they need to leave. And so they may want to invest, say, in the UK, in a tier one investment, and have a residence permit here, a second home here, and for that eventuality. And these kind of clients, like I describe now in South Africa, that's certainly one, that's not the only, but that's one type of client that is mainly motivated by this mobility aspect and this plan B. And that's definitely a different category than uh, a visa. And to your question, you know, why would you even want to get a second citizenship? Of course, the ultimate security in this regard is really not just to have a residence permit, which again could be withdrawn, that is temporary, needs to be renewed at some point needs to be turned into a resident, a permanent residence. If you have citizenship, you're granted that status that can basically not be taken from you. And it's more secure. And also to have a second passport to travel on is nowadays almost a necessity because sometimes you cannot go in certain areas with one passport. It's useful to have another, even for a British person. Mm-hmm. I remind you, maybe Denmark, I'm sure you remember that. It's a very good example. Because Denmark was a very, you know, like Switzerland, it's a very good passport, small, neutral, wealthy country. And then they had these Mohammed cartoons, and you know, within one week, this was picked up in Cairo, and there was a real shitstorm around the world against Danish institutions. Danish embassies were put on fire. Danish citizens were attacked, and. About a dozen countries or so didn't let Danish citizens travel. And, you know, if you had only a Danish passport, it would be a problem. And this can happen to any nationality. And once you realize that, you know, it's good to have a second option. I think this nowadays, if you have a little bit of international outlook, then you need more than one citizenship. It's absolutely clear. From my experience of dealing with international wealth creators, um, a lot of them are 
have already a yeah. second passport. And those that don't have a second passport, I advise them to do so because they do need to have an exit strategy for the business. Yeah, but even so. just practically, like there are still countries you need a visa to go to as a British person, for instance, and you need to send in your passport to this embassy and you may get it back in time for your flight that departs on Friday or you may not. And if it doesn't, you may have to just change and wait. And if you have a second citizenship, not a passport, well, you simply travel and wait for this passport to arrive peacefully. And you still go on your trip. And this is a bit the other thing. Once you experience things like that, you know, or in some parts of the world as a Brit or as an American, it's just better not to be on a passenger list or in a hotel checked in as a British or American citizen. Because of terrorist threats and things like that, it's maybe better to have a passport of a small, peaceful country that could even save your life. Absolutely. Uh, the Economist article, which came out at the end of last year, titled Have Money Can Move, says the suspicion is that the schemes are abused by crooks, money launderers and tax dodgers. They are dogged by repeated scandals. So it says it's not my experience, it's not your experience. But give me what what is your response to the idea that this is you know something that's primarily used for crooks and money launderers and tax dodgers? Well, this Economist article and also others that the Economist uh, wrote uh, on this topic are actually quite balanced. So this what you took out there is uh, quite peculiar because on on balance they. They have a very fair view on this, but you're quite right that a lot of media and, and some even some institutions, they say, well, you know, this is all for crooks and criminals that would avail themselves of these uh, possibilities. But people that say that they either don't understand or they don't want to understand because the facts are very clear. So, yeah, of course, there are some people that abuse these systems like any other systems like banking financial services there are also crooks and criminals that use that but there are systems in place to stop that and there's probably less of that in in our field than in the wider financial services industry because due diligence is very strict and there's a big spotlight on it and so you know any bank knows that out of a thousand clients they onboard you maybe have five or 12 or seven out of thousand that turn out to be crooks. And then the counts of are frozen, you cooperate with the authorities and that's fine. But the vast majority of people are okay. There are people like you and me that have a need, in this case, for alternative residence or alternative citizenship for very legitimate reasons. And that's quite fine. And that well, because it's like that, this is also growing worldwide, both on government side, so more governments that do that, big and small, big countries and small countries, and also from the client side, there's a huge demand, and this is growing 25, 30% a year for years, and there's no end in sight. Thank you. On this mini-series on um, wealth creators and post-Brexit, the focus is predominantly on the UK leaving the EU um, and the effect it will have on the wealth creator in the UK. But what about the other side? What's the effect of our departure, the UK, will have on the citizens of Europe? 
Um, the UK has been a great counterbalance to the French-German axis and the extension of the EU into Eastern European countries. What does your crystal ball predict? I wish I had a crystal ball. That would be very nice. <laughs> I don't, but I can give you still my opinion on that. First of all, in terms of our particular field, I think the effect of Brexit is almost zero on either side because, yeah, for sure, as I said earlier, EU citizens are going to have some access to the UK and vice versa. It's even today in the EU like this that you know there is no unrestricted right of movement and settlement in the EU. It's only for people who have a job or who have money. If you are unemployed today, you can't just move around Europe. So it's already like this, and it's only for a select group of people. And this will just remain also after Brexit. So if you have talent or money after Brexit, British people can move to Europe, and Europeans will be able to move to the UK. No question. On the different categories, maybe a bit more complicated registration system, but it will be possible. But on a wider spectrum, I think for the UK, frankly, Brexit or no Brexit doesn't really make much difference. I think Britain will be fine in the EU and it will be also fine outside the EU and there will be sufficient arrangements between the two that make it quite okay for the UK. But from the European perspective, what you alluded to before, I think the leaving of UK is a huge disaster. I think for the EU, they lose the other major big economy with proper justice system, with rule of law, is only really Germany that is really strong. And some northern small countries, France bit in the middle, but the rest, you know, is southern, eastern European, relatively weak states. And the EU is going to be left with a majority of weak and, you know, undeveloped, relatively undeveloped states. They don't have the rule of law and the tradition of the UK or the systems like in Germany. So the, the EU has to deal with a huge loss, with a very serious loss, and the UK will be okay. With the EU, I'm not so sure. That is fascinating. Just to finish up, um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. With the instability that we can see around the world and what you just alluded to with the UK leaving the EU that in fact is going to you know take away a counterbalance uh, that we've, we've had within Europe presumably instability is going to be great for your business tell me a little bit of how it could be affecting Henley and partners you know this is the one aspect that I don't like in our business I really love what we do, and I think we do a great deal of good, actually, both for individuals and countries. It's just sometimes not quite so recognized yet, but I think what we do is really very valuable. But one thing I don't like is that, of course, our business benefits from instability and conflicts and problems. So look at Hong Kong right now, and also obviously now, all those who do not already have a British passport or another passport, they're thinking very hard what to do because it's becoming a bit more clear the direction that Hong Kong might be going. And in such crisis situations, of course, more people come to us, unfortunately, I would say. I wish it was otherwise, but you know, we deal with something that is simply a fact of the world. I, I always 
counter also when people say, well, that's unfair. You know, we, we help rich people to, to get those privileges. We say, well, the whole world is unfair. I mean, the whole system of citizenship and immigration laws is unfair. The whole system of nation states with borders that keep people out of places is unfair. So we simply deal with a very unfair world. And in this very unfair world, unfortunately, there is conflict and problems here and there that keep people moving and seeking alternatives and, and seeking security. And we help those who can. Um, and that is one aspect which, of course, makes you think sometimes. You know, But still, I think on balance, we do very good things because mm. we help people to secure the future, to have more options, to secure their mobility, to secure their life. Kristen, thank you for joining me today on episode eight of How to Keep Your Money. Of course, there'll be people who argue that it is not fair, that the rich can buy their way into freedoms, tax haven and lower regulation, which other people cannot afford. Life is unfair. But most people who want to visit another country can do so with a cost-efficient visa, as you have described. The people who want a passport invest because their wealth makes them a financial target in their home country. They fear the security. Or they fear for their family or for a myriad of business reasons. For many wealthy families, these threats are real, which is why buying the option to be able to settle in another country is and will continue to be good business for Hindu partners. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.